so this morning we'll look at the subject of forgive or forget you. And I guess that's kind of a crude way of putting it, that uh, phrase there. Uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit further in a moment. Uh, a lot of the concepts for forgiveness are very distorted today. And I think a lot of times when people are saying they forgive, in a way they're kind of cursing people and what they're saying. I don't want to consider or think about you anymore. Um, what do we do about that? How do we forgive? How do we react as Christians? What do we learn from the life of Joseph? We're going to get into that in a moment. Before we do that, I ask that you please pray with me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon us now that you give us strength and awareness of mind as we are studying your word. Help us to reflect upon the book of Genesis to gain from this many lesson, the many lessons that come from this text. Help us this morning as we consider forgiveness and those trials and things that we face in this life, that we do things according to your will, that we be as forgiving as possible as you have forgiven us. We know that you've released us, that you've given us great grace and mercy, Father. We see your steadfast love in every day of our life, and we especially see it in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to reflect upon releasing those around us who have maybe sinned or betrayed us and done wrong to us. Father, help us to restore those relationships. Father, we pray all this in your mercy. We ask that you forgive us as we forgive others, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I think this is a very deeply personal subject as we look at the subject of forgiveness. Uh, as we start thinking about forgiveness, one thing I will remind you throughout this lesson is, is how God forgives us. Um, does God just forgive us when we continually live and continue to live in sin and willfully do it? If that were true, then all people would be forgiven throughout all time. And, and God's mercy and justice, His justice would be bankrupt and people would just be forgiven no matter what they did repeatedly. So we're going to look at what God's standard is for our forgiveness and remission of sins. His extent of His grace. And I think when we look at it, it is abundant, but it is also just. And it is the, the only injustice there God takes upon Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on our behalf. So we're going to look at that a little bit further in detail. I think everybody in here probably knows what it's like to be slandered. For some people to say something, to curse us, say things about us behind our back, to slander us, to even betray us and, um, you know, turn us over for things we maybe we haven't done or any injustice that we have done. Or whatever we might be carrying with us, there might be someone who comes to our mind who has abused us or taken advantage of us. How do we deal with that? What do we do about those situations? And the Bible has a lot to say about it. We have a lot of examples here with Joseph and the way that he addressed his brothers who had betrayed him. They had sold him into slavery. Through this, he endured also imprisonment through another betrayal and slander. He goes through 14 years of this, as we studied last week. And coming out to the other side of it, he has an opportunity here. What is he going to do after he has now become second in control of Egypt and his brothers come asking for food from him? What is, what is he gonna, how is he going to respond to this to his brothers? Is he going to forgive them? I think we look at some of the details here, and I think they're very telling. Let's look at Genesis 42 and get some more background about this event. And then we're going to take our exposition this morning from Genesis 45 and the way that Joseph addresses his brothers. All right, chapter 42 in Genesis, it says, Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people the land. He was selling the grain, the food, and everybody who is in need. And it says here, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. You remember this? Joseph had those dreams. 
the, of the stars bowing to him and of the sheaves bowing to him. And it was for that reason that his brother's already envious, probably because of their mothers and the controversies going within his family, that he is betrayed and thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery. Now those brothers are fulfilling those dreams, the dreams they very hated, and now they're bowing down before Joseph. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Well, how can you do that, Joseph? Shouldn't you just be forgiving? Shouldn't you have already gone past this? You know, I think a lot of people have that kind of mentality that, oh, someone sins against you, instantly forgive them. As though there's not something to be worked on, something to be addressed as far as the sin and relationship and restoration. And here, he treats them like strangers and he speaks to them roughly. Is he right in doing this? Let's continue to look at how he responds. He says to them, where did you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, and they did not recognize him. And he begins to question them. He tests his brothers. He wants them to prove themselves. He even says to them, you're just here spies. You're looking out across the land. You're trying to find out where our weaknesses are. And you start to get here, when you start to read the text, that the Egyptians clearly don't like shepherds. And they don't like the Hebrew people, and they don't like the people of Canaan. They're suspicious of them. And so Joseph carries that kind of thinking and speaking to them. And, and testing them. And Reuben responds. We go here in chapter 42, verses 22 to 24. And it says, Reuben answered them, did I not tell you, uh, did I not tell you not to sin against the boys? You remember Reuben is pleading not today originally not to murder Joseph. Reuben's already thinking about, here it is, the sins have come upon us. We're having all these struggles. We're trying to, well, now we're being accused of being spies and all we need is food to take care of our family. And Reuben's thinking automatically back to what they had done to Joseph. He says, but you did not listen. And so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Genesis chapter 9 tells us about that, that God has a reckoning. Everyone is going to be an account for their actions. He says, especially for those who shed blood, because in blood is life. And there's a disrespect toward the image of God for those who murder those who are created in his image. And that's in Genesis 9, verses 4 through 6. You can read more about that. The idea of forgiveness and atonement and some of the depths of the Bible and trying to understand the significance of blood and forgiveness are all tied up into this. I'm not going to get into all those details this morning. I'm going to save that for another time. But we do get a picture of this reckoning of blood that comes up throughout the book of Genesis. It says here that they did not know Joseph understood them. Of course, Joseph understands what they're speaking and the language they're speaking. And he needs this. Joseph needs to hear this. And it's good for him. And, and it says here again, for there was an interpreter between them. So they have no idea who he is or that he even knows what they're saying. Then he turned away from them. And you see this with Joseph. He weeps. Why does he weep? All this is he's probably been holding against his brothers for all this time. His own family who had betrayed him. And I think here he's beginning that process of restoration, of restoring that relationship. He weeps. I think many of us can relate to that. Those who might abuse us, who we start to see that what they did, they regret it. And they wish they hadn't done it. And it causes our hearts to, to go out and to, to start that process of reconciling. You see that here. 
Then it says, when Joseph composed himself, he returned to them and he spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Wait a minute, he's still acting roughly. He's binding Simeon before he sends them back with food. And you remember the account, he sends them with the, the bags of grain, but he also puts the money that they had used to purchase it back into the bags. They're afraid of that. They're afraid of what's going to happen here. Even in binding Simeon, they go away and they go back to their father, but they take some time. They eat all the food before they even think about coming back because he says, don't come back without the youngest son, without bringing Benjamin. They're afraid to do that. We start looking at some of the things that Joseph did. Should he have revealed himself right then? Why is it that he's testing them? Why is it that he sees his brothers after all this time and he sees that they regret what they've done, but he still sends them back? He's asking questions about them and he's intending that they are going to return. He has every motivation of compelling them to come back. He wants to see them again. I think he wants to restore the relationship. And he's seen God throughout the whole process. What we looked at last week is that Joseph saw that what they intended as evil, God meant it for good, and that God works all things for good for those who love Him. And we have a beautiful and a wonderful picture here of what it means to be restored, even in a family where there might be abuse and trials. There might be struggles within the home. Things that have gone on and passed. And if you're like me, you know a little bit about that. You know what it's like to have someone that that might have hurt you. And I hope you also know what it's like to forgive them. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing in a family to forgive one another. We all need that. And in family, usually we've all done something wrong to somebody, whether friends, family, peers, somebody where we've had to go to them and say, listen, I did wrong. Please forgive me. I think as we start to look at it, we also begin to reflect as Christians, how do I resolve these situations? I ask a question right here. Should Christians withdraw from those who slander and abuse them? Or just keep forgiving them? If you're in an abusive relationship, are you just supposed to allow it to keep going on? I think there's a number of places in the Bible that tells us, no, the person who uh, teaches error or slanders or, or, or is committing an open sin that does other harm to people around him. The Bible continues to tell us that we withdraw from them. Romans 16 says someone's teaching false teaching. We withdraw from them. Someone who's living constantly in sin, 1 Corinthians 5, says you withdraw from them. You don't even eat with such a person. That is, this is a person who's claiming to be a Christian and they continue to do wrong. What do we do to restore that? And the Bible tells us how. If you go to Matthew 18, you listen to Jesus in verses 15 through 17, and he says there, someone does evil to you, commits an offense, you go to them, you speak to them, you want to resolve that. If they don't listen to you, you bring one or two with you to confirm witnesses. They still don't listen to you. They still don't bring any kind of reconciliation, no regret. Then you turn it over to the assembly, to the congregation, and let it be known what they've done. We continue reading here, this account here in Genesis. Let's get into chapter 43. After Joseph's brothers returned, they came with Benjamin. It took them a while to persuade Jacob to allow this to happen. And they're returning with the money that was given to them and then some that was that money that's been placed in their bags and then some to buy even more food. We read this in Genesis 43. Peace to you and do not be afraid. And this is Joseph speaking to his brothers. He says, your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And so he's telling them, God has given this back to you. And so we see that. Joseph is saying what he had done, 
It was an act of God toward them. And notice the words here. Joseph is speaking to them about their God, reminding them of their Creator. Since then he brought Simeon out to them, and when the man had been brought, when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house, and he had given them water and washed their feet, so now he's treating them kindly. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. And so they're preparing for this. And all of this, Joseph is now showing a lot of compassion and love toward them. He continues to test his brothers through this, through treating them nicely. After he sends them away and sends them with food, he puts a silver cup in the bag of Benjamin to accuse him of betrayal and of theft, the cup that Joseph drinks from. In Genesis 44, we read about this. This is when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Now they're begging him because they're thinking Benjamin's going to be put to death. He's going to be put in prison. They're bowing before him again. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? Now they're trying to make things right with Joseph, even though they don't know who he is yet. And and they said, God has found the guilt of your servants. Notice that. Notice the, what Judah's saying there. We're guilty. There's this great sin in our past that's brought this upon us. And they feel the weight of it. And these are things I think Joseph needed to see, to hear. And he says, Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and, and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. And so they plead for mercy. I'm thinking about this. What if you're in that scenario? What does it take to forgive someone? Someone is begging for that forgiveness who has betrayed you and is pleading for mercy. You know, I think there are some that say, no, you're not going to get any mercy from me. You didn't give me any in the first place. It's a Christian faith. What we're taught in the Bible and what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18, Christ teaches us God has forgiven you for so much more of what you've done you have no right to withhold that forgiveness from others. Now, at the same time, God's forgiveness has one very important condition. And it is applied to us as well for us to forgive others. We need it. It helps with our restoration. We're going to come to that and we're going to think about that in a moment. Before we finish this, I want to, I want to at least finish on the subject of Joseph here. Here's our exposition. We're going to draw some observations from Genesis chapter 45. So I won't have the text on the screen. Read along with me if you have your Bible. Genesis 45. There's a lot here in this text, and very compelling and beautiful. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. Cohen read the beginning of, for it, of, of this for us this morning. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself. And what is he saying here is that he's, he's been listening to his brothers and they've been pleading with him. And he's been listening to Judah and Judah's saying, look, we've committed these sins and we've done wrong. And they're begging him. And there's more detail to that. As you, if you go through the reading, you can see it. But then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. He's sending out the Egyptians. It's just him and his brothers. It's hard for him to control himself emotionally. He says, so now, he says, so no one stayed with him. And when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, he wept aloud and so that the Egyptians heard it. 
The household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. There's something very important there about the way Joseph perceived the things that happened in his life, his trials and his struggles. He saw the good that was being done in it. It was because of his faith in God that he's able to resolve this in such a way, in such a healthy way, a stable way, that it's able to change his heart toward his brothers. And I think that's so important. So important that our relationship is right with our Creator and with our God so that we could forgive others. Let's keep reading here. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me therefore before to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh. I don't know how old Pharaoh is, but it sounds like Joseph is older than him. And the Lord over all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall be near me and you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have there I will provide for you. And there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. I believe here he's speaking to them in Hebrew so they know who he is. Verse 13, you must tell my father and all my honor in Egypt and of all that you've seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. It was very beautiful. To read that, to see the restoration there, the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, to see how essential Joseph's faith in God was to the whole process to restore his love again. It's a wonderful thing and a beautiful thing. So I, I look at the text, I make some observations here, things that I see, and you may see others. But like Joseph, we, we need to gain some lessons from this. We can be secure to restore relationships with those who have repented and regretted. There's no reason for us to be carrying around that fear with us. We trust in God. Yeah, we could reason in our head, well, they betrayed us once, they'll betray us again. But Joseph was testing them and seeing the change in their heart. Continue reading here in verse 45, uh, chapter 45. And by God's grace, we see another thing that stands out to me as a lesson. We're able to console. Notice what, because Joseph consoles his brothers. He says, don't be angry about this. Well, that's a strange position for you to be in. You're the victim. And you're consoling those who did wrong to you. 
telling them not to be angry, not to care about that guilt and that burden anymore. And again, it shows us the ability that when we've been done wrong, that we can show the grace of God in our life in a way, in a consoling and encouraging way. It might be the only way that people really know how much God loves them by the way that we respond when others have done us wrong. Like Joseph, we can recognize God's working through our trials. And, and so because of all that, because we see we've gone through all these hardships, we can be bitter our whole life, or we can take it as this is God shaping me and doing wonderful things so that I can do good to others, so that I can forgive others, so I can show God's strength and His might and His compassion and His mercy. That's what we want to take from Joseph. I see from God's generous giving that those who are forgiven are able to give even more to those who are being forgiven. And I think that's something very peculiar here. You might think, well, all the burden now should be on the abusers. They're the ones, the ones who've done these wrongs. It should all rest upon them. They can take care of themselves. That's not the position that Joseph takes here. Being the one forgiven, he's given more. He gives what God has given to him. He sees that because of his faith in God. He's able to, to do that. Now imagine that. If you have no faith, if you exclude God from your life, if you live a kind of a secular life, what reason do you have to continue giving to those that you've already forgiven? He sees God's work. Another thing that stands out to me is by God's preservation, we can love with grace. The way that Joseph did, the way he fell on his brother's necks and embraced them. He loves with grace those who have hurt him. And now he sees they've changed. So you have that kind of thinking today. I see very common on TV when someone has a, done a great harm to a family member and the family will say, you know, maybe they, they're in the hospital or maybe they were murdered. The family will also, often you'll hear some say, I forgive you. But some of them say forgive you in the sense of, no, we're going to forget that person and not think about them anymore and what they did. It's not really a bringing about a peace. It's not really a restoration of fellowship. It's not really the kind of forgiveness that we're thinking about here in the Scriptures. The Bible tells us and brings us to a greater sense of forgiveness. A greater sense of forgiveness where the relationship is restored and there is peace there. That's far different from someone who has done harm or abuse to your family. This is someone that you can certainly confront and address. So when it comes to forgiveness, I think repentance is essential. And the reason I believe that is because the Bible says it. When God forgives us, the Bible continues to say that we need to repent. And the word repent means, in Greek, metanoia. Meta meaning change and noia, the mind. Change the way you think and you perceive and turn against sin. Jesus taught repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He said it would be proclaimed to all the world. He told his disciples after he'd been resurrected from the dead, Luke 24, 46 to 48, thus it is written, he's telling them about the scriptures, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for, this means in Greek, into, to receive the forgiveness of sins. And the word for forgiveness, apeluo, means to be released from them. Released from the consequences of death and of all the punishment. 
He says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of this. And this is exactly what we read in Acts chapter 2, where Peter is preaching and he says in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Same phrase in Greek, for the forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness is essential. Can Christians withhold forgiveness? Certainly not if someone has repented. But we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and mentioned of the man who is living uh, in, in sexual sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, you withdraw from him, but you forgive him when he repents, when he changes, when he has sorrow. And Paul even says there, he says, whoever you forgive, I'll forgive. They had the ability to choose when to forgive, and it was dependent upon his forgiveness. I want you to think about this. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Paul says, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. But when does God forgive us? Not when I still live in sin and I'm in rebellion against Him. I'm not released from those sins until I've repented and I've obeyed the gospel and become a Christian and I've been baptized and I've rise to the newness of life. Repentance is essential. We see that throughout the Scriptures. The believer needs to repent and be baptized, become a Christian. I, li- I listen to Jesus and what he says. Luke 17 and Matthew 18 are essential scriptures for us to understand forgiveness as Christians. And listen to what Jesus says here in Luke 17, verses 3 through 4. He says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, I was saying, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he sins, rebuke him, address him. Tell him what he's done. And if he repents, notice that it's conditional. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Why? Because God forgives you in the same way. Can you imagine that? Having to repent seven times in the day and coming to God and saying, I repent. When I talk to my kids and they come to me and they say they've done something wrong, a lot of times they say, I'm sorry, Dad. And I say to them a lot of times, because I know sometimes when they say I'm sorry, they're not being sincere. They're just saying I'm sorry so they get out of trouble. I said, I say to them, you know what Daddy wants, you to, he- wants to hear. I don't want to just hear that you're sorry. I want to hear. And they say, I will never do it again, or I will try not to do it again. I want to hear that they're going to repent. They're going to stop. They're going to they're put effort behind that. And someone might say here, well, there are some situations where someone doesn't know that they've done wrong. Yes, the Bible talks about unintentional sins in a number of places. Times when you've done wrong to others, you might not have known it. And the responsibility on them for reconciliation is on that person to come to you. But otherwise, before God, God forgives. And if someone does something wrong against me and they, don't, they do it unintentionally, I can hold it against them or I can go and address them. Either way, the Bible tells me where it ends. It ends with me forgiving them. If they do it unintentionally and I don't address them, they have no way to know to repent. The Bible teaches forgiveness. Release that against them. Release what you've been holding against them. As Christians, we must forgive, and we must forgive in the way that God tells us to forgive. And I think these are some things that we often forget. 
And so as I've been thinking about and looking at Joseph this week, I look at the love and the compassion, and I see a lot of emotion behind it. It it is an an emotional, stirring thing to be able to to have to address someone who's sinned against you or offended you or who's abused you, even if it's happened over many years. But if they repent and they change, forgive them. Your, Your Father in Heaven has forgiven you of so much more. As we conclude this morning, I want you to look at these two verses right here. As a part of our invitation, Jesus taught in Luke 5 and verse 32. He says, I've come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. God's mission, the mission of Christ, is to call to repentance. You don't need Jesus if you think you're self-righteous and you don't need to repent. Those who need Christ are the ones who recognize I'm a sinner and I need to change. I think about Peter's words as well about God in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 and how God feels toward us. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't want anybody to die, to perish, to be condemned. He wants everyone to be saved, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. He wants everyone to repent. In Acts 17 and verse 30, God says He calls all men everywhere to repentance. Why? Because in repentance, He forgives. And I think that is very gracious. And what we've seen from Joseph this morning is that when he saw the regret and the repentance of his brothers, he wept and in love, he forgave them. They're one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. And we need a lot of that forgiveness again, in the church today and in our homes and in the community. This morning, if you haven't repented of your sins and been baptized into Christ, I encourage you to do what the preaching of the gospel teaches and what Peter proclaimed in Acts 2 and verse 38. This morning, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, do it. Having confessed your faith that Jesus rose from the dead, you can turn away from your sins in in repentance and be baptized If you need prayers and encouragement, if you're struggling with the subject of forgiveness this morning, we encourage you to come right now.